Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Every month, the Rhino Mural Program in Denver's Rhino Arts neighborhood pays local artists to paint illustrations around the district. This month, three indigenous Colorado artists are creating works representing their cultures. For me, with my work, it's definitely about healing not only myself, but helping people heal along with me. On today's show, Colorado Edition's Aaron O'Toole talks with the artists about their murals and Colorado's native art scene. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Denver's Rhino Arts District is known as a community that fosters local arts through ample gallery, mural, and venue space. The Rhino Mural Program is an example of those efforts. Every month, the program pays local artists to create installations around the district. And in celebration of Native American heritage this month, three indigenous Colorado artists are creating works expressing their culture and humanity. We're joined now by those artists to talk about their murals in progress, Colorado's Native arts scene, and the through lines between artistic expression, social change, and heritage. We're talking with Danielle Seawalker, a Denver-based artist and chair of Denver American Indian Commission. She is Hunkpapa Lakota and a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation in North Dakota. Thank you very much. We are also talking with Greg Deal, an artist based in El Paso County and member of Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe. Greg, hi, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And we are talking with J.C. Bial, co-curator and facilities manager at Dairy Arts Center in Boulder, and an artist, J.C. is Dene. J.C., thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'd like to start off our conversation by hearing from each of you about the murals that you are working on. Danielle Seawalker, let's start with you. So I'm working on a small wall adjacent to Greg and JC's, and it's really about Native American representation of today. A lot of times I get, um, you know, people, we have a conversation or, you know, and they're like, oh, your name is interesting. And then it gets to the conversation of I'm Native American and I'm Lakota and um, then they, I get a lot, a lot of times I get a response of, well, you don't look native or, you know, and I hear my kids the same way that, you know, you don't have braids, you don't look native. So I wanted to do a mural that kind of is representational of what natives look like. I mean, we, what does a native look like today? I don't know, but I'm native and this is what I look like. And so the mural that I'm doing is kind of a mix of uh, two worlds in that um, it's six individuals that I sketched up and they're wearing a mix of regalia from their tribe or, you know, um, sweatpants and a hoodie with some moccasins paired with it or jeans and um, a feather. So it's kind of a, just a, a cool representation of, of what natives are today. And how about you, JC? Basically um, an extension of what Danielle's saying, but I, I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm taking it a little bit in a route that I'm just kind of taking a representation of an elder in more of a contemporary modern look and um, kind of incorporating the fashion that was their kind of way of expressing themselves um, even to this day. So it's more or less like what things have become fashionably hip and what people have been taking on 
in the hipster community, if you will. I'm kind of giving them like a taste of where that kind of came from as well. And how about you, Greg? What about the mural that you are working on? I am working on something that is along the same lines of, of in terms of uh, representation. I created a piece that is uh, tied to a series that I'm working on called The Others, where I've reappropriated old comic book images from the 40s and 50s that's rooted in cowboys and Indians. So it's, it's um, very stereotypical. There's a lot of tropes attached to it and uh, seemingly problematic flipped the narrative where the natives that are represented are either standing strong or they're always winning. But I've created something that is familiar to non-native eyes in terms of Americana and representation of native people. And I've taken the dialogue out of the original comic books and I've replaced them with uh, lyrics from punk rock songs. So things that would, you know, denote disenfranchisement or frustration, things like gentrification, which is not the same as Indian removal, but it sort of has a similar vernacular and being able to articulate indigenous struggles and feelings and thoughts through these lyrics and in a way that is turning that stereotype upside down. Can you share an example of which uh, lyrics or which which punk songs? Yeah, uh, for the one I, I uh, have created, I took it from a Clash song, I'm So Bored with the USA which is the statement that's being said in, in the dialogue. And the song itself speaks to really, I think, um, just the, the viewpoint of, Amer- of America from the outside of America, uh, which is oftentimes where a lot of na- Native people, even though we are also Americans, but we are oftentimes looking at it from the outside, like, man, this is, this is weird. Like, this is a problem. Well, I'm hearing some overlapping themes, uh, especially around representation in all of your work. I want to dig into that just a bit. Danielle and JC, it sounds like both of you are focused on depicting Native people in a way that incorporates older, uh, maybe more traditional dress and presentation alongside more modern representation. And I'm just curious how you each decided on your focus. Uh, JC? Yeah, so I guess for me, it's always been about incorporating traditional kind of techniques when it comes to the um, visual arts that are a part of my community back home on the Navajo reservation when it comes to Navajo rugs, pottery, and, and a lot of the geometry that's that's seen within it. So what I'm doing is taking those type of motifs and styles and forms and applying it to what I'm doing and, and presenting them in a way that's very colorful and vibrant, uh, which is reminiscent of graffiti styles and colored palettes. So what I'm, you know, in, in a sense, like I'm placing this older gentleman in a city environment and really kind of taking, I guess, that club feel with the lights and the music and and the colors and, and really kind of giving him a place to participate in that. And that's because of the music I listen to myself. You know, I'm heavily inspired by the music I do listen to. So I really want to incorporate that in what I'm doing. So what I'm doing is I'm just mashing up a little bit of everything when it comes to to traditional forms, graffiti and music, and really expressing myself in that way, but also placing these people that I see back home on the reservation in those type of environments because they wouldn't be seen in them unless they stumbled upon them. So for me, it's almost like, what would it be like if I saw my grandpa going to a club or a rave, you know, and and looking really cool and participating in that and making it, you know, a reference of like song and dance environments where they actually go 
and these are traditional gatherings that they participate in. So it's more or less like me showing that and, and, and kind of juxtaposing those two different environments. And Danielle, how about you? How is it that you work in incorporating more traditional, perhaps older dress and presentation with modern representation? Yeah, there, you know, there's this concept of two worlds and a two identity um, that Native people carry, especially urban Natives. You know, we were removed from reservations or came here maybe from reservations um, and, and chose to live an urban life, but we still want to keep our culture and traditions intact, you know, while maintaining living in the 21st century. Um, you know, there it goes back to Article 10 of the Treaty of Fort Laramie that showed that depicted that we were no longer as native people allowed to dress in our traditional ways and we were forced to wear wool pants, button up shirts, socks in a in a very Western um, type of dress. And so I, you know, it was forced upon us, but we still love our moccasins. We still love you know, wearing um, our traditional regalia. And in fact, there's this whole idea of when people think about Native Americans, in, I think, and I'm generalizing, they think of this old romanticized idea of everyone wearing regalia and a headdress and feathers. And if you literally do a quick Google search and hit images and just hit and just search up Native American, that is exactly what you'll find is this romanticized idea. There's nobody wearing street clothes in these images. And I wanted to kind of show that we are active, com contributing, successful community members all over the United States. You may not you know, recognize us as Native, but we're here. We're just like everyone else, but we do still love mixing and keeping our traditions alive. So I wanted to kind of fuse those two ideas together. Greg, I want to uh, go back to your mural. I understand that in a lot of your work, you reappropriate racist and derogatory depictions of Indigenous people. Why do you do that? Really, I think it's just speaking in a language that people understand, taking something that's familiar, good, bad, or indifferent, and flipping it. Not only are, am I able to create something that is familiar, that people can see, that they understand, but in creating it from my perspective and putting it in place, it, it almost reflects back almost like a, a social mirror. But what's interesting is, I mean, even just listening to JC and Danielle, there is a common theme of intersecting indigenous identities with other subcultures or other identities that seem to make sense to other people. So my work is doing that as well in terms of you know, an intersection with like punk rock and Americana, like these are all things that are part of or have participated in on some level of sharing and, and showing our identity, mostly from the perspective of somebody else. And so there's a movement that's happening. And, and I think that Danielle and JC are, are articulating it perfectly, that this movement is about asserting our rights to our own identity. Well, I understand this mural is just one part of a larger series that you're working on. Can you tell us a bit about the rest of the series? Yeah. Um, I mean, most of the illustrations are, um, I mean, especially the illustration style of the 40s and 50s are sort of general. And so it's pretty easy to take some of the illustrations and like change the aspects, like who are they talking to or, or what's happening. But, you know, so often Native people... Uh, especially through media, through film and, and illustrations and art and, and literature, we've often been sort of relegated to a kind of delisting actor to a story that's on our own homelands. And so part of the others was about taking those narratives 
and changing them so that the native people that are being represented in this illustrative style are winning or are standing strong and making a strong statement that there isn't a situation where they're being taken down or that they're being beat up by somebody who's, you know, not a native person and that uh, it's showing native people making strong statements, which I think is reflective of what's happening now. We are an entire new generation of native people that are representing ourselves uh, in ways that we want to see ourselves represented. That was the first part of our conversation with artists Danielle Seawalker, Greg Deal, and J.C. Bial. In a moment, we'll hear more about their relationship with art, their early work, and the influences on their style today. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Today, we're speaking with three Indigenous artists working on murals in Denver's Rhino Art District, celebrating Native American heritage. We're joined by Danielle Seawalker, a Denver-based artist and chair of Denver American Indian Commission. She is Hunkpapa Lakota and a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation in North Dakota. We're also talking with Greg Deal, an El Paso County-based artist and member of Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe, and J.C. Bial, co-curator and facilities manager at The Dairy in Boulder, and an artist, J.C. is Diné. I would like to take a few steps back and talk about how each of you got into art. Um, Danielle Seawalker, let me start with you. How did art come into your life? You know, art has been part of my life since forever, since I can remember. I've always had a crayon in my hand, paint, um, you know, making make, you know, paper origami, whatever it was. And I, I, it was a sort of medicine for me. I grew up um, with a lot of trauma in my childhood and art was always a crutch in a way for me to kind of release that. Um, I also have come from a very creative family. My dad, my aunties, um, they are all artists and, and extremely talented. And I think it's just something, um, whether you believe it or not, I think sometimes you're just kind of, you inherit some of these things. And, um, so yeah, art has just always been, been there. And since I can ever remember. JC, what about for you? Yeah, very similar story to Danielle's, um, come from a lineage of, you know, weavers, sculptors, and painters in my family. But I think, you know, for me personally, I feel it goes back all the way to my uncles and my grandfather who were traditional medicine men and created, you know, healing arts, if you will, um, in a form that really doctored their patients and, and really helped them heal. And I feel like what Danielle is saying is about art being a release and also an escape for us to communicate or just have an opportunity to be with ourselves and, and develop a relationship with ourselves that it becomes healing. So yeah, I feel the the roots run that far back. And and I say that because, you know, in, in some of these ceremonies that were conducted, there's a lot of singing, there's a lot of dancing, but there's also sand painted art that is developed. And, and I say art, which is probably the wrong way to refer to it, because it's, it's a part of the larger story that helps bring healing to each individual. I also understand that graffiti and street art, uh, JC, were important to how you developed your style growing up. Why is that? What what spoke to you about that? Yeah, well, you know, my older brother, you know, when you grow up as a kid, you think your older brothers are like the coolest things ever. So one of them, he was 
involved, you know, with the community back home in Farmington in New Mexico, where he participated with, you know, hanging out with the, the kids that were in the gangs and such. So a lot of it was inspired by Chicano art style graffiti. And, and, you know, this is the early nineties that we're talking about. And um, so, yeah. And, and from there, I was just inspired to, to go with it a little bit further. And um, I saw that my sister would write letters between her and her friends in bubble letters, which I thought was amazing. And so when I saw that, I just, you know, wanted to expand upon that and do a little bit more research on my own personal end. So while visiting other cities like Denver or Phoenix to see family, I would often look around to see what was on the walls and get inspired by that. And especially, you know, seeing the trains and back home on the reservation, there was trains that would come through often. And so that's where I would see a lot of the graffiti going by. So that was just super inspiring. And it was just like, I want to do that. And, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure out what it is and I'm going to try to make it happen. And Greg, I'll pose the same question to you. How did art come into your life? Art was always really important. Um, as I got a little older, came to understand and realize that artists in our tribal communities are medicine people, that this is an important aspect of, of our communities. And it's something that our communities respect and revere. But it's something I've always done. Uh, I was doing a lot of graffiti in the 90s, uh, went to college and learned to do, you know, uh, draw more realistically and paint more realistically and, and uh, sort of run through the classic training. After school, I worked for the sign industry, which uh, has a graphic design component to it, which is also working in fabrication um, and found myself sort of in a place and in a position where I was uh, making work because I was compelled. I felt compelled to make work. And, um, and so it's just always been there. It's always been a thing. And, and even, you know, the, the piece that we're talking about, um, has played an important role, uh, in looking at the trauma in my life and looking at the things that happened to me as a young person and how important music was to me. And, um, to be able to create this new work of these illustrations and doing a deep dive in different bands and everything as a 40 something, uh, you know, native man, like I am working through, uh, trauma and things as a kid while making this work. So while it's easily consumable, it's also incredibly personal. Um, and of course that overflows into my family and to my kids and, uh, and to, uh, even my mom and my sister and just the way that people are viewing these things. So it's always just been present. Um, but I also came from, you know, very working class home. And so nobody, you know, in, in those areas, uh, the practicality of working and having a job um, sort of overshadows the idea that you could go to school and that you could obtain more. You could, you could do more that is outside of being a car mechanic or a school bus driver, which is what my parents did. And, um, and so uh, that journey has just been kind of, tough, but also incredibly fulfilling and just realizing the possibilities that are there when you stay true to the talents and abilities that the creator has given you. I'm feeling another common theme in all of your work is this idea of combining art and social justice work or art and activism. What does that look like for you? Uh, and Danielle, I'll start with you. Well, um, there's not a day that I've lived that I haven't had to face some sort of, um, you know, have had to stand up for myself in some way or another. My dad was a very um, outspoken person, and I think I get a lot of that from him. And he really instilled in me 
that if you don't speak up, nobody's going to do it for you. And so I've carried that with me my entire life. And I think that's a, a big influence on why I do speak up. I'm involved not only, you know, art and activism is sort of um, coined as artivism. So I would consider myself an artivist, I suppose, because um, I do uh, bring up issues and topics that I think could be considered activism within my visual art. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I'm very heavily involved in a lot of legislative things that are surrounded by um, Native people. Of course, I come from the tribe that um, had the no dapple um, that became kind of like a a token um, place that a lot of activism occurred against um, oil and pipelines. So, um, you know, I get a lot of questions about that when people find out I'm from Standing Rock. And so it's just, I, it's always been a part of my life. Um, and especially because I came from a, a strong father who instilled that in me. And JC, what does it look like for you combining art and activism? I guess for me, it's, um, I, 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 you know, when I was a young kid, I would read a lot of books about Native people. And then I, you know, learned about AIM and its history and then just started going even further as I got into college and participated a little bit more heavily back then. And, um, you know, in, in, in resistance when it came to like, um, the petroglyphs on the west side of Albuquerque and dealing with just racism within Farmington, New Mexico and stereotypes and all that stuff. Um, but I feel like for me currently, um, you know, my work does kind of speak of that, but not directly to it. Um, for me, it's more or less like how, how can I celebrate life and be a part of a larger community just to um, allow people to know that we, we exist and, and not to have these, you know, deep conversations about, you know, what it's like to be Native, but how we can find similarities and celebrate life in general, and how we can come, you know, come together to, to fight for everyone's rights, especially when it comes to environmental, social, and, um, you know, color lines and such like that. But for me, it's almost like I just create the work that I feel like is just going to celebrate life the most. And, um, and it's very rare that I'll speak directly to an issue um, because I feel like there's a lot of artists who are doing that already as it is. And I want to bring in the conversation where I will allow people to feel comfortable for us to just sit down and have a dialogue if that's the route we want to go. And so, yeah, but I mean, mostly it's more or less like just allowing people like there's, there's a seat at the table for Native people and I'm willing to sit down at it and let's just, you know, have a conversation and celebrate life together and have these meaningful dialogues that will help create growth for everyone. Greg, I heard you describe yourself as a disruptor, not an activist. What does that distinction mean to you? You know, I, I think a lot of it, I mean, and, and I respect, I mean, and I know we're speaking in English and English is uh, limited in its language because in our communities, there's, there's different words for the things that we do that we might call activists. Um, you know, these are our advocates, these are our elders, these are our warriors, these are, um, you know, our, our leaders, our people that are uh, standing up for our communities, either, you know, our specific communities, or sometimes even like our, our greater communities. And there's a commodification that has taken place of the idea of activism. And you can just tell how much that's changed, even in the last uh, 10 years with social media and just like the way that the mascot debate began through Twitter and then just how everything has morphed into all these other things. Um, 
I think that the title of uh, activist for me, it just it feels too formal. Um, I'm not part of like the 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 sort of formal thing that's there, and and I also feel like that what one person calls an activist, another might call an adult with an opinion, and so it really just comes down to like who's holding the microphone or who has the tools to make a statement. And and furthermore, you know, a lot of what all of us are doing are creating dialogues around things that we experience every day, and so even just talking about something that affects my family. Um, that's real. Like I may not be in a position where I'm advocating for anything, but I'm simply articulating something. But the commodification of this idea that everything is activism takes away from the fact that, that we are uh, dealing with some significant things with like personally in our communities, whether it's urban or it's uh, on reservation or all of the above. Um, and so I look at my role in this as, as sort of being um, disturbing spaces and trying to disturb the sort of status quo, the understanding of uh, indigenous existence, the understanding of um, federal relationships with our communities, um, the way that we should look, the way that we should talk, the way that we should present ourselves. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for you know, Danielle and JC who are creating something that is totally different than, um, than, uh, than maybe the way I'm doing things. Um, but you're seeing something that is being fed from multiple sides, which can give you a bigger picture um, of what it is that we're talking about. And, and really what we're talking about uh, is that not only are we here as uh, native people, not only has our communities survived and thrived, um, but that you're on our homelands and, uh, and that you should act accordingly. Neil C. Walker is a Denver-based artist and chair of Denver American Indian Commission. She is Hunkpapa Lakota and a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation in North Dakota. Greg Deal is an artist based in El Paso County and member of Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe. And J.C. Bial is the co-curator and facilities manager at Dairy Art Center in Boulder. He is Diné. Danielle, Greg, J.C., thank you so much for joining us. Wapalatanka for having us. Yeah, Thank you. Appreciate it. That's our show today. Join us next time for another episode of Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.